This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Bumps on the leftist road to tomorrow. Welcome to the Return to Order Moment. It is very difficult for leftists to describe their visions for the future. They will be happy to mouth the usual words, quality, inclusion, and the like. However, when they are asked to be more specific, they are at a loss for words. There are two reasons for their speechlessness. First, many of them are so far lost in their utopian dreams that they have not transformed those dreams into useful goals. Second, those who have done that thinking can't derive a message that attracts support. Consider this quotation attributed to the World Economic Forum founder Klaus Schwab. You will own nothing, and you will be happy about it. That may sound good to some, Usually the same people that describe their hopes in Karl Marx's famous phrase, from each according to his ability, to each according to his needs. However, no one knows how such a culture would work. Throughout history, an individual's economic security has been based upon how much that person or his family owns. That is the only protection from famine, pestilence, or tyrannical governments. The only people who have been happy owning nothing are nuns and monks, who derive their well-being from their relationship with God. For everyone else, the idea of being poor and happy at the same time is a delusion. Recently, author Carol Roth wrote a book that examines this idea. Mr. Francis Sabodnik reviewed that book. His review is titled, You Will Own Nothing, Blueprint for the World to Come. We tend to take private property for granted and only realize its importance when it is threatened. The gradual process of taking property away is the subject of an intriguing book titled You Will Own Nothing, Your War with a New Financial World Order and How to Fight Back by Carol Roth. The author unmasks the war on property waged on today's postmodern battlefield. Most conservatives are aware of the more obvious assaults on the institution of private property. It is found in excessive taxation in its many forms, whether in cities, counties, states, or nations. We are also familiar with Marxist movements such as Antifa that openly advocate socialism and public activism that attacks private property. Giant corporations promote the paradox of socialistic and woke ideologies that concentrate power in the state. This book focuses on the subtle attacks on private property that might go unnoticed until it is too late. The book's main title, You Shall Own Nothing, is taken from a discussion at the World Economic Forum that meets yearly at Davos, Switzerland. The author shows how certain systems are in place to limit a person's access to ownership. One example is the social credit system which exists in communist China. A person is automatically graded by his or her support of the communist regime. Thus, certain privileges are available only to those with a high enough social credit score. If a person tries to travel by train or air with a low social credit score, the system refuses to issue a ticket. A second trend is the transformation of owners into subscribers. Some new vehicles in South Korea, for example, 
come with options that are only available with a monthly subscription fee. The person does not own the entire car, but only the basic platform. The idea is to reduce all ownership to subscriptions. The author spends considerable time analyzing the now-declining corporate rating system known as ESG, which stands for environmental, social, and governance policy that companies must implement to stay in business. This is an American-style social credit system. Companies and organizations can be canceled by violating the leftist standards used by these systems. Another attack on property consists of high property taxes and green requirements attached to home and business ownership. Resource allocation can also be a means of controlling property. The overuse of water can be a pretext to restrict ownership. Some sources cited in the book claim that Americans consume too much water. They propose restrictions on water consumption by making water artificially expensive. The author's critique is backed up by many compelling charts demonstrating her points. She does not call for a disordered revolution to make things right, but a counter-revolution that defends order and prevents chaos. Unfortunately, the author does fall into the trap of mislabeling the political, economic, and cultural figures involved in these attacks as elites. This common conservative habit fails to realize that these figures are actually pseudo-elites or counterfeit leaders. True elites connected to the community provide solutions through their capacity to unite society for a common purpose. The final chapter has practical suggestions on how we might fight back. The author recommends not supporting businesses that undermine our values even if it means paying more. She also suggests finding others who share common ideals for mutual encouragement and support. This book is very helpful since it contains much accurate and eye-opening information and suggestions about surviving the crisis in America. What is missing is a discussion of the fundamental moral causes that change society and lead to these attacks on private property. America has turned away from God and his commandments. Until we return to God and again follow his commandments, we will not see a permanent solution. Too many people in modern society are captured by the delusions offered by the left. This group includes many in positions of great visibility, those that our culture calls celebrities. In fact, being a leftist is often a prerequisite to gaining the kind of notice in the media to become a celebrity. However, occasionally, even a celebrity can be, to use a common phrase attributed to the late journalist and political thinker Irving Kristol, mugged by reality. That state often causes a sharp turn to the right. Mr. John Horvat discusses the results in his essay, What happens when celebrity leftists turn right? The left faces a new challenge that is leaving its activists troubled. Over the past few years, many high-profile leftist figures, writers, and politicians have turned right. They defected to the other side, and embarrassed leftists don't know what to do about it. 
In an op-ed in the New York Times, columnist Michelle Goldberg asked some soul-searching questions about what is causing the shift and why it's important. She cites an extensive report in the well-known leftist publication In These Times, which tells the stories of turncoats like former environmentalist Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Occupy Wall Street activist Matt Taibbi, or the liberal feminist writer Naomi Wolf. Quote, Almost everyone I talk to tells me about people they have lost down the rabbit hole. Parents, siblings, best friends, as well as formerly trusted intellectuals and commentators, writes the well-known leftist author Naomi Klein. People, once familiar, who have become unrecognizable. Unquote. The standard leftist ways of dealing with turncoats, deny and defame, will not work. Leftists cannot just write off these figures, since they are well-known people with huge followings. Given their contributions to the movement, they cannot claim that they were never real leftists. The In These Times authors note that many of these people are also intimate friends, quote, that you struggle to hold on to despite their growing allegiance to terrifying ideas, unquote. Something has gone wrong with the left. To explain the crisis, the left must contradict cherished myths, abandon its utopic visions of the future, and look for new ways of describing reality. The Goldberg article claims that there are three problems plaguing the left that help explain the apostasy of its celebrities. All of them require acting outside its old orthodoxy. The first is that the culture of the right is more welcoming than the left. Those approaching rightists are treated better, and although she does not say it, with Christian charity. The left does not have anything similar within its ranks. It is hard for them to admit it, but the left's unwelcoming culture can be rather nasty, sarcastic, and crude. The second problem is more serious and profound. Marxist dialectic theory posits that history constantly evolves and progresses to even greater forms of freedom and equality. However, history is not cooperating with this fatalistic view. Read Roe v. Wade, for example. Thus, there is a crisis of faith in the possibility of progress. Everything seems stuck. Leftists are stuck developing policy ideas, addressing current problems, but cannot construct a compelling vision of the future. Leftists know what they want to dismantle. Tradition, patriarchy, the nuclear family, property, and capitalism. However, they do not have a credible plan for a radical transformation of society. Everything is shrouded in abstract Marxist jargon with little practical application. Hence, some activists are losing hope and looking elsewhere, including rightward. Ms. Goldberg claims the right has an advantage over the left in this field. It does not have to present an abstract vision of the future. It offers the security of a return to a past Christian order. The left may hate or distort this order, but it cannot deny its existence and verifiable claims. 
This Christian order points to highly attractive historical accomplishments, cultural developments, and heroic feats. Conservatives can have recourse to the memories of happier times. The left's memories of past utopian nightmares like communism are not so happy. This loss of hope has the effect of fragmenting the left. The recalling of memories is uniting the right. The In These Times report claims, We've witnessed more right-wing factions converging than splitting, putting aside differences, and adopting new and ugly dreams, unquote, which they see as beautiful. Ms. Goldberg complains that the left needs beautiful dreams of its own. All social entities or movements need dreams, which can be defined as an indispensable capacity to envision a future for themselves that considers both the practical means at hand and a higher ideal. Societies that do not dream are doomed to die. Quote, We have no knowledge of any human community where men do fail to dream, writes Irving Crystal. Which is to say, we know of no human community whose members do not have a vision of perfection, a vision in which the frustrations inherent in our human condition are annulled and transcended. Unquote. This lack of a dream signals a deep crisis inside the left that cannot be underestimated. It is an existential problem that leaves it without an achievable goal. The past notions of socialist utopias are unraveling in a woke nightmare of identity politics and irrational discourse that attracts no one. Celebrities are leaving the left because there is nothing left to appeal to their rational minds. The socialist agenda is hollow, unwelcoming, and incoherent. For all its defects, the rightist vision still seeks after beautiful dreams. It can always appeal to that audacious dream of an order turned toward Christ that so transformed the West. The phenomenon that Mr. Horvat described in the last piece also exists on the corporate level. Leftists have done an amazing job of persuading American corporate leaders to sign on to their Marxist agenda. However, many of these relationships have failed. Mr. Edwin Benson discusses that failure in his essay, Can Right-Wing Marketing Compete with the Leftward Drift of Many Giant American Corporations? Marketing professors in the nation's business schools will long discuss the boycott of Bud Light, beginning on April 1, 2023, as an example of what not to do. The brand got into hot water with conservatives when they employed a man pretending to be a woman to promote its product. The reaction stunned the liberals, the company, and the entire marketing profession by his quick and angry response. Jeffrey Cabaservice, a vice president at the center-right think tank Nikensen Center, summed up the reason for the anger. The left-wing media outlet Vox quoted him, The reality is increasingly that there is a red market and a blue market. Ultimately, here the subtext is America is a pretty divided country. Unquote. 
Before the controversy, Bud Light was the best-selling product in a highly competitive marketplace. It was a kind of default beverage for millions. When the so-called transsexual Dylan Mulvaney released a video promoting the beer, millions of customers quickly abandoned the brand because they wanted no part of the rapidly expanding woke ideology. The economic effects were immediate. According to the business journal Forbes, quote, Bud Light's parent company Anheuser-Busch announced earlier this month its U.S. revenue dropped 10.5% in the second quarter of 2023. It continued, Modelo surpassed Bud Light as the best-selling beer in the U.S. in 2023. The reaction did not stop in the beverage aisle. The Bud Light boycott was among the first of many instances this year in which companies deemed woke were targeted by right-wing social media users and commentators. Companies like Kohl's came under fire for selling Pride merchandise, and Nike and Adidas faced backlash for trans-inclusive marketing. However, many liberals still do not understand that this situation resulted from uncoordinated grassroots actions by millions of consumers. Time magazine commented, After Bud Light released an actual sponsored ad with Mulvaney, prominent conservatives engineered a boycott in retaliation. This is not the first time the culture war has triggered massive grassroots reactions. Another fundamental demarcation point remembered in marketing history was August 1st, 2012, known at the time as Chick-fil-A Day. When pro-homosexual activists tried to boycott the chain over donations to certain charities by the firm's owners, more conservative Americans rose en masse to support the company. Words of the reaction spread without any organization. Friends used the internet to tell other friends in distant places to patronize the restaurants on that day, and those friends responded. Lines of customers, some of them hours long, formed at locations nationwide. Even international news outlets like Great Britain's very liberal The Guardian reported the phenomenon. These reactions show that the companies that adopt woke policies often stand to lose money. The so-called red market can be highly profitable since people can be convinced to buy in accordance with their moral values. In the aforementioned article, Time documents the growth of this growing anti-woke sector of the economy. In recent years, there has been an explosion of business ventures that position themselves as right-wing alternatives to mainstream products, unquote. They list coffee retailer Black Rifle, an anti-ESG investment platform called Strive, America First Healthcare, Donald Trump's Truth Social Media platform, and crypto promoter MagaCoin. Quote, Many of these firms are drawing investments from A-list venture capitalists and private equity groups, a sign that a growing segment of the business community recognizes the potential for making money in the MAGA marketplace. Unquote. Recently, NBC News noted that Epoch Times was exporting right-wing sentiments into the world of print journalism. Remarkably, in a supposedly dying industry, 
the new entity is making quite a success of it. Quote, funded through aggressive online and real-world marketing campaigns and big-money conservative donors, the Epoch Times now boasts to be the country's fourth-largest newspaper by subscriber count. The nonprofit has amassed a fortune, growing its revenue by a staggering 685% in two years to $122 million in 2021, according to the group's most recent tax records. Unquote. On the other hand, some very small players in this space are getting together to sell using the anti-woke label. Some 65,000 small companies market their wares on an internet platform called Public Square. They are proud to manifest their anti-woke sentiments. The platform proclaims its values in five statements sure to warm the hearts of most conservatives. Quote, One. We are united in our commitment to freedom and truth. That's what makes us Americans. Two, we will always protect the family unit and celebrate the sanctity of every life. Three, we believe small businesses and the communities who support them are the backbone of our economy. Four, we believe in the greatness of this nation and will always fight to defend it. And five, our Constitution is non-negotiable. Government isn't the source of our rights, so it can't take them away. This newfound expression of economic power in the lower echelons of the right wing is encouraging. It breaks the myth that only woke companies will prosper. The rise of the anti-woke company shows that those who proudly proclaim their values can even expect some return on their moral investment. This concludes Bumps on the Leftist Road to Tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe to your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2024 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.